Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are continuing to talk about IVF and IVF add-ons, and it forms part two of our Navigating IVF episodes. If you haven't listened to last week's Friday show, please go back and listen. Sarojin, as an IVF novice, was there anything in particular that surprised you last week or interested you last week when we were talking through this entire process of IVF? The thing that struck me the most apart from how complicated the process can be and how many different steps you have to take, what really hit home for me was how much responsibility was placed on the woman. Going through all of those individual procedures, getting all of your injections right, getting all of your timings right, and having to do that probably alongside a full-time job, how precious your time is. And for some people, they only get one shot. Oh, that breaks my heart. You do hear these incredible stories of it works. You know, they get the one embryo and it works and it is one of the most beautiful things. Like I I love it when it comes up on my social media or where I hear a story. They've got one shot and it works and it's the most beautiful thing. But like you've just said, the time pressure, the getting the meds right. The thing that really struck me from last week in line with what you're saying is the trigger shot. You know, the one where you Mm. have to, you have to pull that shot at exactly the right time. And if you don't, it can mess up the whole cycle. That's it done. So I completely agree with you. There's there's so much pressure on the woman. And it's with all due respect to the men. You know, they can be the most incredible supportive partners if there is a man that is a partner. Ultimately, it is the woman doing the injections. Yeah, ultimately, it's the woman that's following her cycle. There's no getting away from it. You have to measure your own cycle. It is so time dependent, complicated, expensive, and the stakes are high. The stakes are really high and you are right. I've seen and read and heard of countless things where people make genuine mistakes. They they take the wrong meds. They take the meds at the wrong time. And it is a genuine mistake, but it does absolutely happen. And, you know, the women are absolutely devastated and completely understandably wrong hormones, wrong timing. Fingers crossed. Anyone going through it, we are absolutely rooting for you. So fingers crossed. Absolutely. When we went through the process of IVF on last week's show, we didn't get to fresh and frozen cycles. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to start there. The idea of fresh and frozen is crucial because everybody going through IVF will either have a fresh cycle or a frozen cycle. What happens is you go through all the basic process of IVF that we talked about last week, and then you have to make this choice, or I guess in some ways the choice is made for you. But you end up with this decision of, do I transfer a fresh embryo or... Am I going to take my embryo, which is where the egg has been fertilized by the sperm, and am I going to freeze it until I go on to use it at a future date? And this is the difference between a fresh and a frozen cycle. It's a really interesting point that people get to. For some people, there's no discussion about it. You're going to have a fresh cycle and that's absolutely fine. There's no reason to freeze uh, the embryo. But for some people, there are lots of different reasons why you might look at doing what's called a frozen transfer. 
Some of these can be health conditions. I know someone that's happened to actually, they basically had cancer when they were a child and the cancer affected their ovaries and they were worried it would affect their fertility. So they actually ended up freezing their eggs. It wasn't a frozen embryo, but they ended up freezing their eggs and basically the eggs were then put on ice. When you're going through the actual IVF process, you are freezing the actual embryo. So you're freezing the blastocyst. So at this stage, the egg and the sperm have already met. They've had their nice little dance party and the egg has been fertilized. But health might be a reason why you would choose to freeze the embryos. Some people, for example, if you know you are potentially a carrier of a genetic condition, what is amazing is you can actually test that embryo at that very, very early stage to see if it's carrying any of these genetic conditions. And really, the the length of time it takes to do that, you have to freeze the embryo. So you would freeze the embryo while you're waiting for the results to come through. So there are lots of different reasons why people would go for a frozen cycle rather than a fresh cycle. I know you'll totally know the answer to this. What do they freeze it in? It's a really good question. There are two ways of freezing. Slow freezing, which takes around two hours. And then there's uh, your much faster method known as flash freezing. What they do is they will freeze the embryos in liquid nitrogen, but they will make sure that they include antifreeze fluids because they don't actually want any ice or any ice crystals getting in the way of the cells, messing up the cells when they freeze these embryos. It's just unbelievable. And my kind of psychology philosophical head was so interested in this because you are freezing the cells in time. They won't grow, but they won't die. They're frozen in time at that stage that you freeze them. And to me, this just absolutely boggles my mind, but it's incredible. And they can be stored for years and years and years and years and years, just frozen in that one particular stage of development. Isn't that incredible? Mm. This idea that someone was in a lab with a bunch of cells and they were spraying it with nitrogen and then squirting (laughs) it with antifreeze. (laughs) Basically, yeah. And as you said, these cells are just, you're quite right, they're suspended in time. It makes all the sense in the world if you have something that comes up as a genetic marker or something, Mm -hmm. and then you need a bit of time to run those tests. You have to make sure that everything is okay, and then they defrost them, and away you go. Yeah, and they do literally defrost them. Yeah. They basically just take them out of the freezer and just let them defrost. They thaw them to room temperature. I'm sure with respect to the clinics and anyone that currently is going through this process, it's them in a very safe and secure way, you know, just to reiterate that point. But yeah, basically they they thaw them. What's really cool is 95% of the time it all goes to plan. So the majority, the vast majority of embryos will thaw no problem. They'll survive the process. And then obviously once they're thawed, they're ready to be transferred into the uterus and everything crossed that your body kind of takes over from there and, and everything works out well for you. Incredible. In praise of the scientists. Is there a difference in the success rate between fresh or frozen embryos? Yeah, another great question. This very much depends on a number of different factors. So it's not a one answer fits all here. And what all the research says is depending on the situation you're in will depend on the answer to that question. What it also looks like from the research is that people aren't entirely sure. Both can be highly successful, which is fantastic, but it depends on things like your age or the donor's age. If you've frozen your embryo when you're much younger, that's better than you trying to conceive or go through IVF when you're older with a fresh cycle, for example. And actually, I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago who was in this exact situation. They were trying to decide, is it better for me to have a fresh cycle now that I'm a few years older, 
or is it better to use one of my frozen embryos from when I was younger? And that was the decision they were trying to figure out. I can't answer that question directly because it depends on your situation. So that's definitely one to speak to your doctor about. But surely that decision kind of comes up when you are grading your embryos. Ah, the grading of the embryos. Yes. For anyone that is new to this and doesn't fully understand what grading of the embryos is, this is the process that your doctors and your clinics will go through as they watch your cells divide, as they watch your embryos develop. And again, it does blow my mind. You are watching three cells, five cells, seven cells. What the doctors, the clinicians will do is they will grade the embryos on a few different things and they will rate them. Basically, what they're trying to figure out is what is the best quality embryo here? They will give your embryo a number from one to six. This identifies how far the blastocyst, so this is your day five embryo, your blastocyst, how far the blastocyst has expanded and hatched out of its shell. So you're given a number from that. From there, you're given two letters. And then the letters tell you the quality of the inner and the outer cell mass. A is excellent, B is good, C is fair, D is poor quality. And this is why, again, if you follow any accounts or you're speaking to anybody, it's a really important conversation. And a lot of people get really nervous about this because obviously, with all due respect to all the embryos out there, you want the best quality embryo. The kind of logic behind it being the better the quality of the embryo, the more likely it is that when it's transferred and it implants, it then develops into this nice, healthy pregnancy, which is obviously what IVF is all about. So the idea is you would grade the quality of the embryos before freezing and then they label them. They're on labelled straws. They're they're ready for whenever you want to thaw them and use them. Did they ever just like whack them all in? That's such a good question. (laughs) No, not usually. It depends what how many all would be, and this is where clinics vary. The bottom line is multiple pregnancies come with more risks. Back in the day, you used to hear stories of them putting three and four in. The logic being, they're not all going to take, it'll be fine. These days, a lot of clinics won't even do two. It's not that none of them will, but the clinics will err on the side of caution usually and tend to prefer just to put one in. But again, there are differences here. Some will put two in. It will depend on your situation. So no, they're much more cautious these days. So I suppose a few lessons were learned in the past about putting multiple eggs in. (laughs) Yeah, they've learned. Yeah, they've learned. (laughs) So you've got this embryo. We know from last week when we were talking about it, that it's pops or in the center of the uterus. It's not pressed Mm -hmm. against the wall. It's hoping that the woman's body will start to do what it naturally does. That embryo is going to start moving towards that soft lining and all that good nutrition. I believe the clinics at this point offer you some additional services to help you along the way. And some of them are quite crazy. I'm looking at additional hatching. As if this whole IVF process wasn't complicated enough, depending on you, your situation, the clinic, there are additional IVF add-ons that you can choose to buy. The goal being to try and increase your likelihood of a live birth. From the offset, I'm going to say there are a lot of potential add-ons. It's very confusing for patients going through IVF because firstly, some of them sound quite complicated as the whole IVF process often does. And secondly, there's quite often not that much research to actually show, is this going to work? Because I don't know about you, Roisin, but if it was me, the first question I would ask is, is this going to work? 
is this going to get me pregnant? Is it going to help with a live birth? That's all you want to know. The service that you are offering me, what marginal advantage does it give me? The marginal thing is important because to a lot of my clients, they are at the older end because by the time you get here, by the time you've been through infertility, figured it out, waited for your appointments, blah, 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 you are that much further along. So at this point, you're like, right, give me the numbers. What's the likelihood? Is this going to work? So the first thing to say about these add-ons is you must check whether or not this add-on actually has any research to support the idea that this might actually help you. The good news is there is currently a traffic light system in use, red, amber and green. If you look on the websites, in particular the HFEA website, it will give you an indication of, yes, there is research. Amber is, there is some research that this might work and red is, there isn't really any research to kind of support that this might work. Obviously it's done in a far more official way on the website but that's basically what it's saying. Looking at them, a lot of them are kind of amber, but please do check before you sign up to these add-ons. One of them is assisted hatching. This is a really interesting idea. The egg, when they're kind of very young, they're surrounded by a thick layer of proteins. Before the embryo can actually implant into the lining of the womb, basically it has to hatch. It has to break out from this layer. Assisted hatching, which is where you use acid, lasers, tools to help the hatching. I'm actually quite amazed that someone thought of that. It is amazing. Also, it seems very relevant to a friend of mine who went through IVF. Her and her partner were absolutely fine in creating these embryos. What transpired was they found that they had a difficulty at this stage, at the implant stage. Ah, yeah. So this is the very bit of the process that they would have had to have a bit of help with. Yep. The research out there, it is graded as red by the National Institute for Clinical Excellence. But for those of you that are kind of thinking, well, why are we even talking about it if it's graded as red? But what some research clinics have said is that whilst it isn't normally recommended, which is why it's graded as red, for some people, in particular for older women, it may actually in that situation be recommended always speak to your doctor about your own particular situation because everybody's different. And I say every week, I am amazed at the people that come and speak to me on paper. They look exactly the same, but their story is completely different. Give us an amber, Maria. Okay. This one is called endometrial scratching. It's also known as endometrial injury. In a small number of cases, the idea is they can get to this kind of embryo stage, but the embryo won't implant the environment of the womb. The uterus isn't quite right. So the idea of endometrial scratching is that it's carried out before IVF. As you might guess from the name, the lining of the womb, which is the endometrium, is scratched. They use a little, small, sterile plastic tube. The theory behind this is that that scratch, that procedure, triggers the body to then repair the site of the scratch, where that's happened. Through that repair, chemicals and hormones are released that in turn make the lining of the womb more receptive to that embryo implanting. Some research also suggests that treatment might also activate genes. Those genes then make the lining of the womb more receptive to the embryo implanting. Incredible. And this is Amber. On a slight tangent, I remember my friend that she would find a bit of an odd discharge after conception. Ah. They were having fertilisation but they weren't having implantation. So obviously she had some discharge as a result of that. Obviously you you need to know your cycle, but you really got to examine the contents of your pants. 
Oh, you do. I don't know if you know this, Roshan, actually. And this is called Knicker Watch. It's literally that. So people do kind of Knicker Watch to see what's going on. The other time, and actually it's quite anxiety provoking, is for people that have gone through loss before, when you are then very early pregnant, it can actually be terrifying because every time you go to the toilet, you're looking for the red stuff and you don't want the red stuff to be there. So this is called Knicker Watch and it can happen at various times during your fertility journey. And it can be actually quite terrifying for people, but also very indicative of what's going on. I can imagine it's a double-edged sword. It's something that you really mm-hmm. have to focus on. And it's really like something that you happily ignore. It's one of the things that I've learned from doing the podcast with you, Maria, is how little I knew about my cycle, how little I knew mm. about the contents of my knickers. And it's something that I've actually tried because I've, I've got daughters and still upon them. You must know your cycle. You must know what's going on in your body. You, all of these are just messages. Couldn't agree more. I'm very aware that one of the things that has really stuck with you was this idea of the period colour, the consistency of the period. I know that this has just absolutely resonated with you so much because you, you, in a good way, you talk about it a lot. I thought it was just individual. I assumed that every single other woman was going through the same thing. They'd have a little surprise every month. And sometimes it was here for three days. Sometimes it was here for five days. Sometimes it was really crampy. Sometimes it was really clotty. And then this idea that no, That's not what a healthy period looks like. You nearly feel sorry for my daughters at this point. (laughs) I'm going to be all up in their business. They're going to be so well informed. Normalising this for them is incredible because you want people to be talking about this, not pushed in the background. Just sexual health in general. Sexual health in general. Menstrual cycles are completely normal. They're actually really powerful. I think we'll have to do another show on this one, but the power of your menstrual cycle is massive. And to embrace it and to celebrate it. And there's so much we can talk about here. But yeah, destigmatizing, taking away the shame and it just being a normal thing. Sure. So what is the next add in, Maria, that you found? This one is it's kind of beautiful, this one. Time lapsed imaging. You get some really beautiful photos from this. It's used to select the embryos, like we were talking about before, that are most likely to develop into a baby. So when we were talking about this grading system... This is a way of watching the embryos as they develop, again, kind of cell by cell, and that you will see time-lapsed photos as they develop. What normally happens in IVF is the embryologist will check the developing embryos each day. You know, they'll check in. Hey, how you doing cells? Look under a microscope. Normally what happens is that will mean removing the embryos from the incubator just for a very brief period so they can have a look and see what's going on. Time-lapse incubation allows the embryologist to take thousands of images of the embryos as they grow without disturbing them. So it's this really lovely idea that you can kind of check up on them without removing them from the incubator. Basically, you're just leaving them alone to do what they want to do and to let them develop. And what's really good is it allows the embryologist to see cell by cell all throughout the day rather than just this kind of one-day check-in. It might sound like a lot. We have to remember that at this stage in development, so much is happening all the time. You know, it's rapid. Once a day is perhaps not enough. You want to be checking in as much as possible because there's always something going on. So this time-lapsed imaging just gives you so much information. The end point being the embryologist can then choose a specific embryo. If you're lucky, you've got more than one to choose from. You can then choose the best embryo for implantation based on things like the rate of development and the number of cells that you've got. At certain points, they want them all to be of equal size. Basically, they take loads and loads of photos as the cell's developing and they use it to to choose the embryo. 
so amazing. And, you know, you've got these beautiful photos. Imagine seeing your child develop cell on cell on cell. Also, as an embryologist, it's just such good intel. Yes. You will get so used to watching these cells grow that you will have an instinct for the really good ones because you're mm-hmm. going to start seeing a bit of a pattern. And hopefully, based on that pattern, you'll start having a, a positive feedback loop, which is mm-hmm. eggs that tend to do this tend to survive. Yep. And they tend to grow to, to a live birth. It's just good data. Yeah. They'll have an instinct eventually just for mm. the really good ones. And obviously to have the photographs would be amazing. Can you imagine on the 21st birthday? Settle in, folks. This is you at cell one. And what is the rating for this one, Maria? This one is amber. And again, the idea behind this is the initial research into this has shown promise, but, you know, they need a little bit more research just to kind of bring some more data in. But amber. So, you know, not bad. I'm assuming because you haven't given us a green, there isn't a green. I couldn't find any. I couldn't see any greens, no. And they're actually changing the system, aren't they? They're going to from a three to a five. They are. They're going to move it. I think the idea being just to make it even more helpful for people who are going through this process, because like we keep saying, you know, we've easily filled two shows here, just talking about, to be honest, the very basics of IVF. When you're actually going through this in day-to-day life, it's huge. The idea of changing the system is again, just to make it even easier to understand for people and to help people make the right choices as they're going through this journey, because there are just so many decisions to make. And also you want to go in there as prepared as possible. So when Mm -hmm. someone is saying we have an extra or we have an add on Mm -hmm. that we think is suitable for you, the first question is what's its traffic light rating? And if it's an amber, well, why is that particular amber good for me? Or if it's a red, if it's a hatching, for example, why why would you recommend that for my case? Exactly. You may prefer to keep your powder dry or, as we say, you might just want to throw absolutely everything at it and money be damned and just go after it. If this is going to be your time, this is going to be your time. And that's a big one, actually, the money thing. Again, we've talked about this um, quite recently, particularly around IVF. For anyone looking at clinics and looking at packages, basically, read the fine print because like the whole IVF postcode lottery system, these add-ons are not the same in all clinics. They're not the same in all packages. It's not the situation that everybody gets offered the same add-ons in the same situation. It depends on the clinic. It depends on the pricing. And the reality is that a lot of people have to scrimp and save to do IVF. What a lot of the guidance um, says, and I did spend a lot of time on you know, websites like the HFEA clinics, I wanted to make sure the information is good, reliable information. What a lot of the research and what a lot of the guidance says is you might actually be better saving your money for another round of IVF than spending it on something that may not work. So again, it depends on the situation you're in. So it's really crucial that you are well-informed, like you were just saying before you go in, so that you can self-advocate, so that you can ask the really important questions like, if this isn't really that likely to help me, is it better that I save that money? And actually it buys me another round of IVF. And that is the guidance that comes through on a lot of these treatments. And you might have to be quite forceful. You're going to have to be quite assertive. You must ask your doctors questions. And if you don't understand the answer, ask again. You have the right to ask again. And oftentimes people don't know what to ask. This is the thing. Mm. So I suppose what I would say is, and this is pretty much from a lay person's point of view, just ask for what's the marginal improvement and why do you think it would be good in my case? Because otherwise that money can be banked. Just to reiterate what you've just said, for my IVF, 
not for the person that's coming after me, not for the person that went in before me, for the IVF that that individual is going through with their age, their fertility issues. It has to be specific to you, not just, you know, Joe Public. So Maria, could you remind us where to go to get this information? The key place I would start is the HFEA website, which is the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority website. Basically, everything you need to know is there. There are other websites out there as well. And I have to give a shout out to IVF Babel on this one because their website is fantastic. Just make sure you're looking at good quality information because it's massively, massively important. And we will, of course, like every week, put all of that in the show notes. So Maria, what will we be talking about next week? On next week's Focus, we will be discussing how to get in those early morning workouts, tips you can use, tricks you can employ to make sure that you get that workout in nice and early and you are feeling good for the rest of the day. And on Friday, we are delighted to be joined by David O'Rourke. David is a clinical embryologist and founder of ProFertility. If you have any questions about IVF, IVF add-ons, let us know. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.